Hey everybody, welcome back to Wicked Garden Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Uh, and today we're going to talk about vampires, uh, possibilities of it. Uh, talk about some of the stuff that we think still could have some merit to it in the paranormal field. And vampires is one I can't shake. So grab a bowl of Count Chocula and uh, settle in. Let's talk vampires. I think a lot of this comes from Mark's hobby, collecting masks and assembling monsters from kits. He's always been preoccupied with them, and it's not healthy. Let's not make those judgments now. Mark, you're sure it wasn't a dream? It wasn't a dream. It was Danny Glick. Nightmares seem real. His subconscious fear made Danny seem real to him. And they were very close friends. Poor little boy. You can do nothing against the master. Stop, holy man! We've cut the boy's throat. Back, back, holy man, back, shaman. Back, priest! What would you give for this miserable boy? What do you ask? What would you give to reprieve him this night to save him for another night? What do you want? The master wants you. Throw away your cross, face the master, your faith against his faith. Could you do that? Is your faith enough? Then do it. And trust him to let the boy go? Father, run! I'm going to kill you. Now you're part of the bargain. I'm a priest. A priest. Throw away the cross. Face the master. Faith against faith. All right, so on today's show, it's a new year. You know, it's a good time to take inventory. And when I we started doing this show, it was never my intention to just... Look, there's a lot of other shows out there, and we're actually going to do a podcast about other podcasts and what we think. I did the show for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I needed something to do. You know, I had some free time. Uh, I kind of wanted to do my own thing where we did it a little bit more uh, towards the center a little bit little bit more towards um you know the realistic possibility of all this stuff and slowly it's been great because over the last three years kind of working my way through all this stuff that i've been wondering about my whole life i've probably been talking about paranormal stuff and thinking about paranormal stuff for going on about god 50 years you start to wonder when you get a little bit older if you're like wasting your bandwidth on this stuff, you know. So what I wanted to do when I did the show is I wanted to talk this stuff out because I think it's a journey that everybody has to have. You're involved in actually talking to a lot of people who present stuff as evidence and you get a better feel for, you know, what could actually be real and what you're maybe wasting your time on. And weirdly, I was talking to G the other day and... <laughs> 
I said that one of the things that I remain stuck on is vampires. And I'm sure after he got done laughing silently to himself, he thought, vampires, really? But there's a lot to it. So, gee, how were your holidays? Oh, they were pretty awesome, man. Yeah, I did. I took leave. My parents just got a new cabin, so me and all my siblings, we all met up there. We'd never been there before. Just kind of hung out, did the holiday thing. It was awesome. Yeah, it's Really nice. liked the cabin. It's, uh, it's pretty sweet. That's and, nice. And uh, just, just, I guess, the whole family being there, like all my nieces and nephews, it was, it was pretty cool. It was it was nice to get out of Alaska. I've been stuck here for three years, so yeah. it's nice to finally take leave. One of the things that I, I still am stuck on after these three years of doing all these shows is vampires. I think there, are, there actually could be something legitimate to this. So wanted to talk a little bit about it. Like when most people think about vampires, they think about Bram Stoker. They think about the book, um, you know, Dracula. And maybe they figure that some of the legend came out of like Victorian London or something along those lines. But actually this goes way, way back. When we want to talk about the antiquity of it and how old this stuff is, there's mention of not vampires itself because that word didn't come around until the 1800s, but there is what you would describe as vampiric behavior, I guess, in the Bible and the Quran. And one of the first stories is actually Cain. In the Bible, what they talk about is that, uh, you know, God had asked Cain and Abel to prepare like a gift for him. Abel and Cain prepared their gifts. God found favor with Abel's gift, and he did not find favor with Cain's. Cain got jealous and came back and killed his brother. Uh, as he was laying there bleeding, his blood was soaked into the earth and the earth cried out to God and God cursed Cain. This is like a recurrent theme in the Bible. When God curses you, what he does is he gives you eternal life, but only on this plane. You can't advance. You can't get on any other plane. You're kind of stuck here. It's strange because eternal life's like the gift, but also in a sense, when you're stuck here, it's not you're really not a lot access. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, you're still feeling pain. You still got to earn a living. You still you're still hungry. You're still cold. You're still seeking shelter. You're still still seeking everything else that's you know comes with being a mortal. Another thing was Cain was a farmer, and he told him that any, everything you try to grow isn't going to grow. And so Cain said to him, "Hey, you know you're really you're really taking away everything. Got to give me something." So what he did was he just told him, "I'll give you the city of Enoch." Cain goes forward, and one of the things that he does is he runs into another uh, character named Lilith. This Lilith has these special powers. They don't really describe what they are. The way that she passes them along to Cain is she opens up her veins, bleeds into a bowl, and Cain drinks that blood and becomes like Lilith. Now, if that doesn't sound like a vampire story, I don't know what does. He marries Lilith. She becomes his wife, and they have this city of Enoch. And this city of Enoch, uh, before it's destroyed, is home to also the Nephilim. Uh, the Nephilim are the offspring of fallen angels and humans. So what happens is all these fallen angels get sent to Enoch. God sends them down. They breed with the women, uh, the human women, and the offspring is a Nephilim. And eventually what happens is the city is destroyed. But the city is described in the Bible as having, uh, being home to people with special powers and what they call great inventors. So this is really sounds like some weird origin story of vampires in a way because of the, you know, the whole bloodlust thing. 
that's going on. So it's kind of odd. Yeah. It's, it's just a little bit weird. And the other problem too is, um, you know, this is what we get in our version of the Bible, which has been, you know, translated, screwed around with by English speaking white people. Right. So every time it gets translated, something's lost in translation. So this is the story we're getting, but who knows what the real story was? Who knows what's lost in translation? And the other thing and with Enoch Lilith too pops up. She pops up just uh, in so many other religions and so many other times. Like she has a long timeline, the Bible and through other religious texts. Yeah, as uh, she's in the Zohar. It's like she's one of the four demon queens. Um, one of the others, which is Nama, we can talk about maybe a little bit later, is a uh, you know classic succubus. So it's like you ha- also have psychic vampires, which we can talk about and. She's the classic case of that. She's the old hag from the old hag syndrome and sleep paralysis. There's actually the English translation of the Bible. Um, There's a book of Enoch, and it's an entire book based off what happened in this city, what happened to its inhabitants. And it talks about all kinds of crazy things, and it actually was in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yep. So that was struck out of the Bible by the English-speaking Christian people uh, in England. And a lot of that is... A lot of that's been talked about in other paranormal subjects, like uh, specifically, you know, ancient aliens and UFOs have is referenced in the Book of Enoch quite a bit. Yeah, because there's, um, I think, at one point, uh, doesn't there's actually Cain's son is named Enoch, right? That's what it yep. is, and he flies up into the heavens with the gods or some type of gods, and they describe yeah. a rocket ship and how they're looking down from the sky at the city of Enoch. Yeah, it's it's all pretty wild stuff. So I don't want to get too off the subject of yeah. vampires. But, yeah, that's a whole you know, other story. Some correlation, <laughs> if you really think about it. Like, like uh, just before I completely get off the subject, just, just thinking about cattle mutilations in general, right. and how that's so tied into the UFO phenomenon. Like, what's going on with these cattle? They're being completely drained of blood, right? You Excellent know? It's, point. It's pretty wild. You know, I knew when we were going to talk about this, it's a really narrow fence to stay on (laughs) because there's so much, like you said, uh, that, you know, kind of touches on all this. But I I thought what was really interesting was that it was actually stricken from the Bible, that entire book. And um, if anybody doesn't know the story of the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were a bunch of kids that were playing around a cave um, that they found on a cliffside and they threw a rock in and they heard some pottery break and they went in and they found all these scrolls. So that makes you wonder what was in there that English speaking Christians were scared of. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something great. If you wanted, if you have a lazy afternoon, and just wanted to deep dive the subject, man, dude, see Tennessee scrolls, there's yeah. so much there to look at, Whether, regardless of your religious affiliation. Like, man, it's just very interesting. Right. So, so this whole vampiric subject is very grounded in some really old, old texts when you talk about the Bible, when you talk about the Quran, And, and then just going back to, you know, every Sunday you have people at church, you know what I mean? With the rite of communion, it's, it's, it's very, the drinking of blood for eternal life is very prevalent in the Bible. There's a lot of that too in, in Jewish faith too, as well. There's a, well, there's a lot of more use of blood, not so much drinking blood, but there's a lot of, a lot of use of blood in Hebrew rituals. 
Um, like, you know, yeah. putting blood on the door over, you know, during Passover, that kind of stuff. There's this, this, you know, reinforcing this use of blood and, and that it has special powers. There's yeah, a lot of that. Like, you know, all the Hebrew texts and, you know, this Ohar Solomon, his control over demons through the use of blood, it's very prevalent. And it's, that's why the subject is so – I'm actually glad we're doing this show because it's it, it permeates the past and, like, current cultures. Uh, it's it's part of our entertainment. It's it's pretty prevalent, man. Like, there's vampires aren't going away. No. And, and it's been in our, in our history since the beginning. You yeah. Know, and, um, and the other thing about it, too, is as we'll talk more and more and we'll move this a little bit forward – you're going to hear some of these names that actually, you know, believe that that maybe there could be something to it. And you're going to think, wow, you know, I mean, Homer wrote about it. Also Voltaire uh, thought there was something to it. So there's a lot of smart people who think maybe there could be something to this. And, you know, I mean, there's, it's prevalent in nature, right? You have the vampire bat, you have uh, other parasites that, you know, sustain them sustain themselves with blood so it's not out of the realm of scientific possibility that there could be something like this and um it's definitely sewn through the fabric of history going all the way back as far as you you can think <laughs> which is yeah. a little bit different from every other paranormal type subject that we we talk about yeah before we get too deep what's your personal history with this like where where'd your interests come from you know, I I can tell you that the least least thing that I've ever been interested in is vampires. I thought it was bullshit since since Jump Street when I was a younger kid. Um, I remember when they did Salem's Lot. You know, like Salem's Lot was probably the best work that I ever read and was interested in when it came to vampires. Um, yeah, I love the miniseries, man. Yeah, it was yeah. still one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, actually, um, I own I own the old one. With the dude from Starsky and Hutch, I actually own that one yeah. on Amazon. I love that. That original vampire um, was probably the scariest thing that I had ever seen on TV. But you yeah, and I were talking I'm, I'm about a fan of the scary vampires, man. I don't, I don't like the glamorous stuff. That's yeah, yeah. No, I'm not interested in the vampire Lestat or you know Anne Rice works are great. I'm not really interested in the whole romantic angle of it. I think it's kind of weird. <laughs> I just do, but yeah. you, you and I were talking about this Netflix thing that was just recently on this Midnight Mass. Um, yeah, man, so well done. Yeah, when you want to that talk about awesome show. how it was laced into religion on um, the use of blood, that's that's a great way of seeing how how that could happen. I would recommend anybody take a take a gander at that. You won't regret it. It was a really good show. Yeah, yeah. So th- that's pretty much it for me. I, you know, but I got to say, up until God maybe about 10, 15 years ago, I didn't really pay too much attention to it. You know, I, I knew it was out there. And then, you know, we kind of had that whole Anne Rice period where it got romanticized and glorified. And I always kind of stray away from things when they get like that. Like right now I'm sick of zombies, <laughs> you know, and it, yeah. it's like, you know, I've had enough of zombies, so I won't, I won't really, you know, consume anything that has to do with zombies right now. Cause it's just like everywhere you turn, uh, yeah, it's saturated. <laughs> yeah, we're saturated right now with zombie movies and also, uh, you know, dystopian plague movies. 
That's that's all we've got out now, you know, to digest. So, yep. but yeah, the, the vampire thing was never really a, a, a real serious thing for me, even when I was a kid. Then Salem's Lot kind of sparked my interest. Um, but I've been doing a lot more research, probably over the last four or five years, and it's just eye opening how much of this stuff is out there. And then, of course, there's the actual work of of Stoker, right? You know, so you bring it forward and you talk about how it got maybe brought. I would say into more, it got brought into the Western world a little bit with, with Stoker's work, right. With Dracula. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, Stoker was, um, Stoker's an interesting character. Um, Stoker was most likely gay. Uh, he was Irish and he was an Irishman living in London, which at that time was difficult to do. It just was because of the times. And, Dracula. Yeah, his, this is like turn of the century. Yeah, it's eighteen so and so, right? Yeah, I mean, we're talking that his character in the in Dracula is actually a royal figure from Eastern Europe who kind of is having a hard time assimilating into uh, English culture. So there's that whole theme of that in the book. And originally, it really didn't go over that well. That book. You know, it, it kind of dropped like a lead balloon. It, it took, you know, maybe 15, 20 years for, for it to become what it would become and, it, you know, move on and become a play and different things of that nature. Um, and a lot of people will talk about, because um, what Stoker did was he ran the Lyceum Theater and he was actually a business partner of Henry Irving, who was a great, a great British actor. Everybody would speculate about Irving because he was so, recl- he was such a recluse. So there was all this speculation post, um, you know, Stoker's death that maybe Irving might have been a vampire. Um, but, you know, he kind of brought it into, he was the first person to kind of bring that Eastern European folklore forward into like a literary form with Dracula. Yeah. And, and it know, really just like once it did take off, it took off dramatically yeah yeah and that that coincides with the whole victorian era right with the whole let's tell ghost stories and yeah very dark yeah let's have seances let's tell ghost stories that kind of thing let's embrace all that and Stoker comes around right at that time um there's also a lot of repressed classic monster stuff that comes out of the victorian era yeah you got mary shelley yep with frankenstein i wanted to talk a little bit too about some other characters that are interesting. I, there's the character, the wandering Jew that I talked to you about uh, briefly. Um, and what that character is, is that is the, he's he's described as either a doorman for Caesar or something along those lines who insults, uh, Jesus when he's on his way, uh, to Calvary with the cross. Once again, God curses him to walk the earth in eternity and not be able to pass on to another plane. He can't die. Uh, can't do anything. He's just got to keep living. So once again, we have this punishment that God has where, you know, he punishes somebody by giving them eternal life and not letting them move out, out of this plane. We also have St. Germain, uh, who I would recommend people look up as well. Um, and both of those characters at various times have been, accused of perhaps being vampires themselves. So, and, and there's some really interesting stuff on St. Germain. 
that that's yeah, uh, that's really a whole show like, itself too. Yeah, it really is, man. Yeah. We sh- that should actually be a show. We should definitely cover that. We move it forward a little bit more, and we're going to talk about uh, prophoria, which is a condition that sort of kind of almost sounds like vampirism. Um, yeah, it really does. I think before we go there, though, Dracula was based on a real historical figure. So that's if if we're looking for a basis in the truth, like that was absolutely based on uh, Vlad Tepe's from the 1400s, um, who didn't fact drink blood. He was a ruler of an area called the uh, Wallachia. He, he was also known as Vlad Dracul, which. You know, not exactly Dracula, but pretty close, minus a letter. But he was constantly, he was part of a family that was constantly at war with the Ottoman Empire. And, you know, not, he didn't have a vast army, but he was, you know, he ruled through fear and he fended off lots of attacks by strictly, strict intimidation. So, he was also known as Vlad the Impaler because what he would do is he would have these guys, these soldiers from the Ottoman Empire, like legit impaled on these giant stakes out in front of his, you know, his land to yeah they would have like a, the Ottomans like an eight foot stake and they would sharpen up the top of it and they would literally just put your sphincter on the end of it and let your weight just bear yeah. down and and kill you from you know from the ass yeah. up yep yep and it was you know. As a show of intimidation, he would he would actually like drink this blood and cover himself up. Yeah, and another thing with uh, Vlad Tepish, you know, he was known as Dracul, which meant dragon um, in that that language. All the all the art of him, you know, his the portraits of him. I mean, he's a he's a super menacing looking character. Yeah, so yeah. he does give off that you know Dracula type vibe. He's definitely um, the the he's definitely the um, poster child for what you know like they were going for like Bela Lugosi and those guys, the early guys who played Dracula. They were yeah, looking back exactly. at that picture and saying, "That's the way I need to look." He had these black eyes and this black hair and yeah, just this look very like pale, yep, very with very dark features and yeah. you know like looming. Almost, and uh, you know, on top of that, you got him. He's living in a medieval castle. There's also Elizabeth Bathory, um, who was exactly. I'm glad you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, she was also this accused was also, of being. Was this was she Victorian or was it earlier than that? But no, I, Elizabeth Bathory would probably have been way. She was a little bit earlier than that. Um, I could look it up right now while you fill this editing space. <laughs> I'm already on it, man. Oh, you got it? Yeah. I, I yeah can... So about 15, like late 1500s. Yeah, now so... she legit would kill slaves and drink their blood. And it was always young yeah. women. And literally bathe in it, I believe. Correct? Exactly. Bathe in it, drink it, the whole nine yards. That was Elizabeth Bathory. And she was a countess. Um, she's often... Credit is the first female serial killer. Killed a lot of young women. Yeah, pretty wild. But again, you know, all based off blood. And well, see, that's... The medical properties of blood. Yeah, see, and before we talk about porphyria, that, that's another thing that's weird about this, right? Like, um, you can point to geographical locations where there's a, a shit ton of vampire lore. 
And whenever you can do that, whenever you can point to a certain place on the globe or a certain place in a country where that goes on, to me, that that legitimizes that it, there could actually be something going on. So, for example, with this, with, you know, the vampire factor here, you've got that Eastern European thing going on. Uh, there's a ton of that stuff coming out of there, and that's kind of where it begins, right? It comes out of Eastern the Eastern European areas. Um, and then you've also got a ton of it in Victorian England, which would have been where those people would have landed when they were thinking about going to the New World, thinking about going west, right? That's your first stop. You stop in Ireland, you stop in England, right? And then there's a ton of it in Louisiana, yep. which would have been where most, you know, French settlers would have been. There's tons of it in New Orleans. They were actually playing in a reality show, The Real Vampires in New Orleans. And then there was... Yeah, a, I know the first time I went to New Orleans, I did a vampire tour. It was yep, pretty crazy. Yeah. And then there's a ton of it in New England. There's a ton of it in New England, um, and, and you know, including some things we'll talk about later. But because you can point to it geographically, to me, that weighs a little bit heavier towards it actually being true. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I don't discount that. When you have a uh, area, when this stuff is like clustered in folklore, to one area specifically, mm-hmm. you can't just discount that. No. It's not necessarily folklore at that point. Right. Because as we know, like all folklore pretty much stems from real events. Yeah. And, it, you know, bringing it forward to Porphyria, it is a medical condition. Uh, it is a group of liver disorders in which substances called porphyrins build up in the body, negatively affecting the skin or nervous system. The types that affect the nervous system are also known as acute porphyria. So let's talk a little bit about the symptoms. Uh, symptoms are low, blow, uh, low blood sodium levels, low iron, extreme anemia, that kind of thing. Also, this is interesting. When you actually urinate, you urinate red. Red wow, to purple. I didn't know that part. Yeah, and it's you have a hard time making heme, and it throws off, uh, you know, which goes into your blood, and it throws off your white blood cell to red blood cell count. It was a, a an affliction that kind of really hit hard in royalty, and the reason was in people who inbred a little bit, it's a little bit more prevalent. So. Yeah. As in royalty. Exactly. So, you know, a lot of our younger listeners might not know this, but, you know, back in Europe and in Eastern European countries, right, Every you know, every little area is a country, right? So a lot of times you don't want to go to war. So a lot of times their way of staying out of wars, and they did this in Spain, they did this in England, they did this in France, is they would intermarry and interbreed amongst each other, the royalty. And they would do this over and over and over again. Uh, they were kind of keeping the, the bloodlines uh, clean. And then they would also do this just to sometimes flat out avoid war. You know, so it would be like, look, we're getting ready to go to war. But, you know, I have this beautiful daughter. Uh, you know, can your your son marry her? And then, you know, we'll, we're family. So it would be tough for us to fight. <laughs> that stuff went on exactly. all the time. Um, and just to go back to a couple examples we already talked about. I mean, both Vlad and Elizabeth Bathory were both Hungarian royalty. Coming right from this area that we're talking about. 
talking about this affliction that could probably affect them. So I'm looking up real quick here, the porphyria. Well, while you're looking that up, I did just want to point out that you talked about heme. <clears throat> and one thing this, you know, is proven is that, you know, to regenerate heme, you can absolutely drink, as in hemoglobin, which is blood. The drinking of blood, whether it be from, you know, an animal or any source, actually regenerates heme within your own body. Right. So that is, it It, it actually, it is treated with blood. And that said, like, you can also drink too much blood right. and poison yourself. So what happens um, with this disease, this porphyria? Um, one of the things that happens is you have a aversion to sunlight, to direct sunlight. And a lot of times when yep. you're in sunlight, it, you can actually blister from it. So people who would be out in sunlight and would have this disease, they would there's sometimes their skin would turn black. Uh, other times it would just blister up. Uh, the other yep. thing was uh, one of the the cures for this or not the cure, but you know, like a treatment for it was that you would have to consume a lot of blood, red meat, that kind of, kind of thing. So you've got these people that are coming out at night. Um, they're going to these places and they're, they're asking for extra raw meat and you know, they're doing it after the sun goes down. So there's a lot of that going on. Right. Um, another yeah, thing that was going, probably jacked because they have a high protein diet. Right. Right. <laughs> And another thing, too, with that was they were missing mass. So they were, you know, normally mass would be held before you went to work or, you know, there was that kind of thing. So they were, they weren't, suddenly they would just not be in church anymore, you know, so that was going on. And that was raising a lot of eyebrows. One of the other things that goes on with it, too, was uh, over time, it can degrade uh, the quality of your bones. Uh, so you can actually start to lose some of your you know, your cheekbones, that kind of thing, your jawline. So there's an aversion. You have an aversion to looking at yourself in a mirror, right? Because that's one of the things that they tell you about vampires. They can't see themselves in a mirror. Well, in a way, these people didn't want to look in the mirror. Uh, another, yeah, very true. Uh, yeah. Another symptom of it, too, was that your gums would recede. So your gums exactly. would recede and your teeth would be sticking out and you would sort of kind of look a little bit odd, right? So you've got this skin falling away from your eyes. So your eyes are bulging out of your head. You're losing your cheekbones. You don't want to look in the mirror. Uh, you're coming out at night. You're seeking this, you know, red meat to kind of build up your iron. Uh, another thing that would happen was your your bones would elongate, Um that would happen too. So you would have these long, weird looking fingers, that Japanese serial killer. You're going to talk about a little bit later. Uh, you know, that's crazy how that looks. So people are seeing all these changes and you know, there's that folklore and they're kind of putting two and two together. So it was one of those things where this porphyria kind of kept it going too. But what that makes me wonder, is there a more extreme version of this porphyria? So is there a group of people out there that not only have porphyria, but they have something that's almost like the next step, you know, that makes them, you know, even worse. Like they no sunlight at all. Right. They're out there. They need blood all the time to even feel, you know, they're remotely sated. Right. So maybe there's an extreme version of porphyria and some kind of subculture that we don't know about that kind of pushes this whole thing forward. And makes yeah. it even worse. That kind of makes me wonder too. So those are all the things that 
we've got in antiquity where those those kind of legends come from, where all the vampire tropes come from, is from this Porphyria and and that other stuff. So what we're going to talk about now is we're going to talk a little bit more about individual cases that we find interesting. And um, I think you wanted to start off with one. Uh, I'm going to be talking about three guys, and they're all pretty recent. But these are uh, these are cases that I just stumbled upon. I did a search for vampires and serial killers. And, Which was brilliant, by the way. And, uh, yeah, there's some – I didn't know about any of these cases. Uh, but they're 100% real. But you have the first one I'm going to talk about is Satomo Miyazaki. Um, he was born in the 60s and was executed in 2008. But he's a Japanese serial killer. He murdered four girls in Tokyo, consumed their blood. He was also known as uh, Dracula and the otaku murderer. He abducted the girls um, they were all aged from four to seven in his car. Oh, God. Um, four to seven. He, yeah, it was pretty crazy stuff. He, honestly, if you look at the photos of him in the, in the face anyway, he looks like a normal, like a, a young Japanese guy. Like, he doesn't look nothing sinister about him. Um, he did have a, a birth defect, which made his hands, like, Elongated. Really looking. Yeah. Yeah. They were very elongated and, uh, yeah, I'll put a link to that picture of his hands up there. Um, so people can take a look at it. Yeah. But it's very much what you would think about if you were to think about what's the vampire's hands look like. He I looks mean, like Nosferatu hands. Yeah. It's, it's, it's super crazy. And I, a lot of people believed it due to this birth defect that he had like a uh, inferiority disorder where he just felt like super inferior, which, you know, led him on the path to do this. But right. uh, it was uh, pretty wild. What he would do is they didn't catch him um, from strictly killing. What he would do, which was so terrible to me, was he would, uh, after he would abduct these girls and uh, keep their corpses, he would actually write letters to the families, oh. like describing how he, you know, tortured them and, you know, how delicious they were. Just coming across these cases, man, legit gave me goosebumps. Didn't you also think of himself as a superhero? He called himself Ratman, right? Yeah, I don't know if it was if he thought about himself as a superhero, but he definitely was. It could have been just for the courts, but he was trying to pin this off on you know as a personality disorder where he had like two distinct personalities, and uh, you know the the killer was Ratman. Um, I think it was mistranslated as Batman for a while, which had a lot of people thinking about the superhero situation. But that was actually his last words. I uh-huh. found out before he was executed was, um, I'll get you Batman if it's the last thing I do. But it came <laughs> off as, you know, I'll get you Batman, you know, which sounds like, you know, the 70s right. Batman series when you think about it. Just how right. ridiculous it was. But, yeah, it's it was – I don't want to get too – in depth with what he did with these girls. And he was known to have uh, both drank the blood of each of these girls. But uh, again, he was, he was caught because of the letters he was writing that eventually led the authorities to find him. And he was, uh, he had a trial. He was in prison for a while. 
and in 2008, uh, they hung him. But again, it just the fact that he was known as you know the Japanese Dracula. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those hands are unbelievable. And, yeah, the hands is what really <laughs> sticks out. Like that's really what sticks out. Some spooky looking hands. I Absolutely. Mean, I, I feel bad for anybody dealing with any kind of birth defect, but like, man, those hands were really something. Yeah. And what 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 period was that? Was it in the seventies? No, it was actually in the uh, late eighties, early nineties. Okay. okay, so that's a very recent. Uh... Yeah, he he was born in the sixties. Right. Um, again, like I said, executed in two thousand eight, but. All this happened between, I'm looking at it right now, at the uh, Saitama Prefecture between 1988 and 1989. Yeah, I've got one for you. This is from southern Louisiana, uh, and this is called The Curious Case of August Delagrange. Southern Louisiana, 1912. All these people start going missing. Uh, They find them, and they'll find their bodies uh, are dismembered and chopped up, but they're not finding any blood. It's a stumper, and this goes on down in southern Louisiana for a while to the platoon where they get like 40 bodies that are like this. So they find these bodies, they're cut apart, um, they're dismembered, but once again, they're not finding any blood. So, the, you know, they kind of think about this, and there's a certain portion of the community that's thinking vampire, right? So they ask a local priest, this Father Jante, they ask him to, you know, see what he can figure out. So he actually contacts the local voodoo man and he gets him involved. So we've got a Roman Catholic priest and a, and a voodoo priest. Okay. And they go looking yeah. for this. Um, so they wow. start figuring out that all these killings are happening along the railroad. So there's 40 bodies, no blood dismembered, and they're all happening along the railroad. In the midst of doing this search, they actually come across what they describe as some some minion vampires, okay? And this is 1912. This is not, you know, 1653 here. We're talking Louisiana in 1912. So they come across these, what they describe as these minions, and they do away with them. They actually go ahead and they they kill these guys. Um, They eventually lead them. One of them, the minion says, you know, we're doing all this for this August Delagrange. So they go looking for this guy, August Delagrange. They find the guy and they notice that he's extremely pale and he actually works for the railroad. Um, Long story short, uh, the local cops figure out that it's this August Delagrange. Um, He uh, goes ahead and is sentenced to death. Uh, He gets hung. Uh, They hang him. And uh, everything does not get quiet. So they continue to have some issues with not people getting dismembered so much, but people talking about how they, they saw August Delagrange in her bedroom. Uh, you know, they, they, they saw him walking around. So one night, um, Father Jante and the voodoo priest, they actually go to the crypt where August was buried. He was buried in one of those above ground crypts because in southern Louisiana, that's the only way you can really bury yeah, somebody. Mausoleum. Yeah, right. Exactly. The water content is the water table so high yeah. down there, you can't put anybody underground. They pop up, bob up like a bobber on a lake. So they go um, and they open up the crypt. They open up his coffin. They get a 
wooden stake. And as they are pounding the stake into his heart, his eyes open up and he gasps. And they continue to pound the stake into his heart. They go ahead and they go do the same to some of the other, what they described as minions of his. They don't even name them in the story. So that was 1912, wow. August Delagrange. Yeah, there. I don't know. There's just something very authentic about that. Like, it, It's very well documented. Very well documented. Yeah. And when you have, um, think about what it took <laughs> to get this priest to go ahead and work together with this, somebody who's a voodoo priest, right? It must have been pretty pretty trying times for them to get together and decide to put aside their differences and get this done. So when we're talking about August Delagrange, you can actually go down to the Vampire Museum in New Orleans and actually see his skeleton. Uh, they actually have his, oh, skeleton, his skeleton. And up until a little while ago, they had his mum of what they said was his mummified heart and the actual stake that they drove into his heart. These were all on display. And you can actually see them, okay. but... Yeah, and then about a year ago, the heart was sold on eBay for $250. But his bones are still in the Vampire Museum in New Orleans, Louisiana. Wow. Yeah. So you got another one, right? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to talk about another one I came up with in my search. His name's uh, Richard Trenton Chase. He was uh, born in 1950. And his uh, murder spree took place between 1977 and 78. Um, he was known as the Vampire Sacramento, which is where everything took place, because he drank the victim's blood and cannibalized on the remains. Um, yeah, he killed six people in a span of a month between 1977 and 78. I think, uh, even though I'm saying serial killer, I think that technically is classified as a spree murderer one thing that i thought was strange about this guy was that his mo for choosing his victims was that he would go to a random house and he kind of staked everything out but he would go up to the house in the middle of the night and if the door was unlocked then he would then that's how he would get his victim but if the door was locked he would he would just discount it. He would move on to the next place and stake it. And then when he'd find houses that were unlocked, that's how he would choose. That was his MO. So he wouldn't go. He took an unlocked door as an open invitation, which we know about well, vampires can't yeah, go into the houses. Right. And the other that's thing. very crazy. Well, here's the so other thing about that. I believed he was a, a vampire. Yeah, well, here's the thing, too, about that. They don't know his complete MO, you know? Perhaps he knocked on those open doors and somebody answered and he was able to convince them to let him in too. That's a distinct possibility. Well, and that's you, one, you need... actually, one of the victims, I think his, her name was Evelyn Miroth. She okay. was one that it was the exact, is that exactly what you're mentioning? I, I don't know if her door was locked or unlocked, but he definitely knocked at the door and when she opened it, that's how, that's when he got So it. he let her in. Or she let yeah, him she, in. She let him yeah. in, yeah. Now, um, you might not know this, but does it say there how they know that? Yeah, because in that case, so not every, so. Did she live? 
Yeah, so he fled. Oh. Um, so another visitor came to knock on the door just to check on him, uh-huh. which startled Chase, and he fled in. He just fled, and he took the women, the woman's body with him. Okay. But the, the visitor alerted another neighbor who called the police, and then that's how that's how he was caught. Right, but but this this they know this woman invited him in how? I mean, if you know great, um, if you don't, don't worry about it. But, just because a nosy neighbor, it was lit, it was literally a nosy neighbor. Okay, seen it happen. So seen him right on the door, she let him. Wow, in. dude, that's Maybe crazy. Screams. Well, you and know what's that crazy? Neighbor, that same neighbor. Yeah. That, what's crazy about that is you know we we've seen these vampire movies where. Uh, like Sam's Lot is a good one, right? When Danny Glick scratching on the window asking to come in. It's like one of the scariest yeah, oh scenes that, ever. That's one of, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you lived through that when you were a kid, forget it. You could watch anything, right? You go to the yeah, exorcist that, and watch it on a loop. Me, <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Yeah, Those uh, that was the first time those contacts got used heavily in um, you know, in a show. <laughs> and now they're everywhere. You see them all on Halloween. But, you know. We, we're constantly told that they need to be invited in. They have to ask and they have to be invited in. And in that case, somebody, you know, nosy neighbor o- overhears this or sees it and sees her let him in. But yeah. the other people aren't around to tell us whether he did that, whether that was his MO, right? I mean, they're just, the cops are just saying, you know, this was his well, MO. Is, they were on This unlocked. is something that he told, he told the police. Right. Told them. Were, after he'd been caught. Right. But like, that's how he chose this because, uh, you know, he was either invited wow. in or the door was unlocked, which he took as an open invitation. Wow. So if you just locked your doors, you'd have been fine. Is this guy still with us? Uh, or did it say? I, honestly, I can't remember. I can't okay. remember. I okay. believe no, he was that's executed, fine. but I don't 100% remember. I don't want to give you a false Well, hopefully they put a stake through this. He was definitely arrested and imprisoned. Hopefully he put a stake through his heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Oh, man, and. He doesn't have crazy looking hands, but if you just look at a picture of him, right? Uh, yeah, he's a. It's pretty. Uh, uh, he looks different. Yeah, you know what else too? He I looks think kind of like a vampire. You know what else too? I think is really, really, um, really interesting with this whole vampire uh, aspect of things. As we know, the worst monsters are always human, right? Uh, and in a way, these monsters are actually human. So uh, I yeah. think there's that for us too. Um, that's another reason why it's a little bit more believable because um, we know what people are capable of. So maybe there's a little bit of that too in this whole thing. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's so crazy. How many things overlap with the invitation thing. And again, everybody I'm talking about has drank the blood of their victims. Right. So, I mean, Jesus, that's pretty wild. Yeah. That one's really wild. I love that one. So, you know, we're going to go back to Eastern Europe for this one. And we talked a lot about how most, a lot of this folklore comes out of there. And that's kind of like the, the origin area. Right. Um, and there was a gentleman by the name of Peter Toma. Um, and this is in Romania. So the town is Craiova, Southwest uh, Romania. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to read this whole thing. Cause this one's crazy. Uh, the authorities okay. in uh, Craiova, southwest Romania, opened an investigation against six pe- people alleged to have impaled the body of a villager who, according to them, had transformed himself into a vampire and sucked blood from them during the night. 
The body of Peter Toma had been unearthed six weeks later by his brother-in-law in the presence of several other members of the family. Once again, I didn't tell you the date on this. This is 2009. Okay. Wow. This is going on in 2009. Honestly, just, I, I just assumed it was early 1900s. Right. Right. This stuff is still going on. So, uh, the people that he had, he, they exhumed the body in front of him, included his widow and her granddaughter. According to several testimonies, they made an incision in the chest of Toma to extract his heart before burning it. One report states that in accordance with a local custom to protect against vampires, they dissolved the ashes in water and drank it. Yum. What a cocktail. Wow. An autopsy carried out by the authorities in Crayova confirmed that the heart was indeed taken. The six people explained that the death of Toma, after the death of Toma, they had felt weakened as if they did not have any more blood. Uh, and this is in quotes. One night I saw it in my room talking about Toma and in the morning I could not arise so much was I weakened set that it was the granddaughter of Toma her name was Morella Marinusco according to her as soon as the exorcism ritual was performed the dead body quote did not come anymore to haunt unquote its family the Sunday Times reported that several villagers affirmed that this exorcism ritual was well known and practiced for a long time in the area and at each time it had appeared uh, effective against vampires. For centuries, we have had to protect ourselves against these creatures. That's, that's crazy. 2009. This is somebody talking in 2009. For, century, wow. for centuries, we've had to protect ourselves against these creatures by finding the graves of the undead and risking our lives by ripping out their hearts, said 68-year-old Tita Muska, a local farmer. The village of the vampire slayers has become the focus of a police investigation that has highlighted not only local fears of the undead, but a start, startling willingness to act upon them. The saga began when Peter Toma, 76, was buried at New Year. His nephew's family fell ill with an unexplained sickness, and a few days later a witness claimed to have seen Toma leaving their house before sunrise as a flock of crows flew potentially overhead. He sucked the life from us so that he could live, said Morella Marinusco. We were all dying, my husband and my child, and we all saw him come to us in the same dream. So let me just stop here for a minute. Wow, yeah, that's the, pretty wild. The flock of crows are flying portentously over his head. So I, I guess they think maybe, well, they thought that vampires could turn into three things, right? It was a crow, a bat, or a wolf, right? So I guess they're thinking this flock of crows could be the other vampires, and he's the only one that needed to be in human form, you know, because he's doing the, uh, he's getting the blood. So maybe that's what they're thinking there by, by mentioning the crows, but that's interesting, right? And he sucked the life from us so that he could live, said Morella Marinusco. She's a nice granddaughter, right? We were all dying, my husband and my child, and we all saw him come to us in the same dream armed with hammers and chisels and fortified with homemade schnapps. <laughs> Four men wow. led by Georgie Marinusco, the supposed vampire's brother-in-law set out for the cemetery. When we lifted the coffin lid, now this is good. When we lifted the coffin lid, his arms were not on his chest that we had, as we had left them, but, but at his sides, uh, Beard. <laughs> his head, his head was turned to the side and his lips were stained with dried blood. 
After the corpse's chest had been opened with a wooden stake, the heart was removed. It was full of fresh blood, said Marinusco. His body relaxed, and we heard him sigh. There's that sigh again. The heart was burnt over the embers of a fire, and the ashes stirred into a bottle of water from the village well to make a potion. Okay, so we know that. Uh, Investigators soon discovered evidence of up to 20 vampire slayings in the past few years. Jesus. At the regional police station, the commissioner said, I'd like to be able to say this village is unique, but unfortunately I can't because I know just how strong belief in vampires is around here. The Daily Telegraph reported that six men, six men were jailed for ripping out the heart of a corpse they believe was undead. So this is another six people. Um, this tells a little bit more of the story. It was just before midnight as uh, the five of them uh, crept into the graveyard. Uh, they knew which plot they were looking for. Uh, a sample, a simple earth grave with a wooden cross bearing the name Peter Toma and quickly and quietly set about digging. When they had dragged the body out, uh, they waited. Then at the stroke of midnight, uh, they began the ritual. They left the cemetery with the heart impaled on the end of a pitchfork and went to a crossroads where Maniscusco's wife's son and daughter-in-law were waiting. There the group burned it. One of the things they used to say about all these Eastern European legends is that the reason this went on is because people didn't have a good uh, idea of what happens to corpses when they die. So there's pH levels of soil, uh, humidity, that kind of thing that all plays into decomposition as we know from, you know, doing our other shows. And they blamed this vampire belief on that, you know, because people would, um, you know, go dig these people up and they would see that they weren't decomposed and they would be like, oh, he's a vampire, you know, and they would do this stuff. But now we're, you know, talking 2009. They at least have to have a rudimentary idea of, you know, how this all works. And they're still doing this. So that's interesting because, you know, there has to be more to it than, you know, just ignorance. Well, the last one I'm going to talk about, um, it may be known with, I guess, people that, uh, you know, are familiar with serial killers, but it was news to me. I didn't, I didn't know anything about this guy. His name's Fritz Harmon, and he's known as the uh, Butcher of Hanover, the Vampire of Hanover, and even the Wolfman. Have you ever heard about this guy? No. This is going to be good. All right, so, yeah, it's, so a German serial killer, but a serial killer. So um, he was born in 1879. And he lived until uh, 1925. But he killed at least 24 boys and young men between 1918 and 1924. And we'll talk about why that's linked with uh, vampires here. He he enlisted in the military, the German military, in 1900. He served two years before he was kicked out because he was deemed unsuitable for service. And the reason I'm talking about that is because of why he was kicked out. He was having dizzy spells um, brought on by direct sunlight. (laughs) Oh, God. This is getting good. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty wild in itself. But, I mean, you know, he's not exactly a serial killer at this point. It's early in his life. Right. Uh, like I said, he's he's probably 18, 20 years old at this point. 
So he only served two, but because he got these dizzy spells and sunlight, he was kicked out. And I guess in Germany back then, once you got kicked out of the military, it's pretty much like it is here in the States now. You know, it's, it's hard to find a job. Like, you want to get out on good terms, you know? Right. You want that honorable discharge sure. where it's going to follow you around. So because he had a hard time getting a job after that, he resorted to, like, a lot of petty theft, burglary, and just a general con artist. And he, he eventually got caught uh, robbing graves between 1905 and 1913 because he would just basically hang out in these graveyards late at night and, you know, grave rob. So he was arrested, but they let him out because he became an informant Okay. to the okay. police in Germany. Yeah. And uh, so he had – so he continued – these like this basically con lifestyle, but was a police informant at the same time. Okay. So his legit hustle on the side was he was a not a butcher so much to say, but he he would sell ground meat in a market. <laughs> when you think about a gray robbery, you're generally thinking, okay, they're they're you know probably pulling out these corpses that are freshly buried to try to get like uh, whatever jewelry is on them, Gold like fillings. family heirlooms that yeah. are buried with the bodies, stuff like that. But right. at the same time, you know, you had a lot of people that were robbing graves for, for me- medical corpses and stuff around that time. Absolutely. Big thing in England. Uh, yeah. And you know, I'm assuming at the turn of the century, like this is just coming off you know, maybe not in England per se, but you know, it, this is Germany, and around that time frame is still the Victorian era. Right. You know, just it's still the Victorian era, whether you're in England or the United States or Germany. So it's it's, it's, a, it's a very dark period, man. So there's no telling what this guy was getting into in these graveyards, um, and probably coming across the lore of vampires on top of this. Maybe he realizes that he has this aversion of sunlight. And maybe he's starting to believe he is a vampire. Yeah, there could be that too. It could be psychosomatic. Yeah. And again, th- there's no telling how he got to this point. But between 1918, so this is 20 years after, almost 20 years after his, well, actually 16 years after his military experience, it's when he started committing these murders that they, he was found to have, like, proven to, uh, committed at least 24 murders, even though they expected in the 30s. Right. But all his victims were males between the ages of 10 and 22. And it seems like uh, these were younger guys that he would recruit almost for, you know, for cons. Right. But they were all known to have, like, resided with him at his residence. So he'd probably keep them for a little while. Yeah. And uh, this is the crazy thing about every kill. He would every in every single case of these twenty four proven murders, uh, he ripped out the victim's throat with his teeth. He consumed victim's blood, and the victims often died of asphyxiation. Of asphyxiation, but on several occasions. He bit completely through their Adam's apple and tracheas. Wow. And Harmon himself referred to the act as his love bite. 
So there's that. Now, all of Harvin's known victims were dismembered and usually put in the Lean River, which is in Germany. But although those dismembered bodies were only partially found, it's believed that he sold that meat in oh, his little God. market. Okay. Yeah. Free supplies. So what a wholesale deal. Yeah. Had never heard about this case no, before. No. I mean, um, that's a that's a great one to end with. Jesus, man. That's crazy. So Whew. yeah, all three of my examples all included, you know, the consumption of blood, but each one had a little tie in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, between like the neck biting, the uh you know, have have to be invited in. And then, you know, the, the hands of this Japanese guy, like, yeah, well, that's, that's what I think that, um, the Netflix show we talked about midnight mass did a really good job of, um, you know, not to give too much away. Um, but the, there was some vampire blood shared through communion. Um, and there was some examples of it curing illnesses, and people may be, you know, getting a little bit younger, but they didn't go full vampire. So maybe yeah, there's something yeah. to it. And nobody ever looked, nobody ended up ever, like, turning into what the actual vampire looked like. Right, but it took a man, while to turn, to transfigure. I'm going to tell you, that was a good vampire. Like, I really liked the, the special effects. Definitely tied back vampire. to Salem's lot. A lot of time yeah, back totally. with his look totally. to Salem's lot. And then also, um, yeah, the way he moved, it was just fantastic. But, you know, we're talking about this, right? Let's, let's sum it up here. We got, um, we have vampire behavior as in, you know, sucking blood to maintain yourself. Um, you know, it's in nature. It's present, right? I mean, it's present in the, present in the animal world. Okay. Yeah. We have all this, um, this documentation of the type of behavior that you would characterize under vampire going back to antiquity, even into the Bible and to the Quran. Um, we have these geographical clusters and we have cases uh, throughout history and all the way up to the modern day. And one person that I didn't mention and I should have, when I was talking about this stuff in ant antiquity was there was a monk, a French monk that um, his name was Dom Augustine Calmet. Uh, and he used to get tasked by the Vatican uh, to document all kinds of things because he was so, he was just a really, really intelligent guy. So it was not only, you know, like stuff like spirits and ghosts and supernatural things. He would literally, you know, do a whole. Like if they, they needed a study done on, you know, how, how's uh, Catholicism spreading in this country, they would send this, this Dom Calmet and he would do all these intense studies. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. And he wrote an entire tome for the Catholic church on vampires, um, which is available to this day. You can still go and read it. And he thought there was something to it legitimately. This really, you know, well-reasoned out man who was a man of the cloth actually thought there was something to this. And Voltaire read his work and was like, Hey, I, I, I think he's onto something here. So you've got this incredible documentation. You have, um, people that are a lot smarter than us who are saying there's something to it. So, you know, this is all the reason why I think that maybe this could be something that, 
that could actually be real. The other thing is, too, in these geographical areas, you've got all these people who think they're vampires, right? So there's that whole phenomenon. There's a lot of people out there that, you know, call themselves, quote, unquote, yeah. vampires, right? So you have these. Yeah, we should probably talk about that. This, this, like, this probably, off the top of my head, you got, like, clinical vampires, which, you know, they, need, they actually need blood. You have psychological vampires, which is people that, you know, believe they're a vampire, whether they are or not. They right. may engage in, like, vampiric practices, but yes. it's, it's totally psychological. You got people LARPing. Have, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got the exactly. LARPing crowd. Yeah. And uh, you got psychic vampires, which I, I think that's a completely separate subject. They're just similar. They're just vampires in name. Right. They're not exactly draining blood. It's more of an energy thing, and you know it's it's not worth getting into right now. It's, but it's something completely. Separate. It's mentioned in then, ufology. You know, yeah, it, it really is. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in ufology that's about it. Um, uh, Terry's book. Uh, you know, Terry, what's his last name? Can't remember. Lawyer. He had the UFO sighting in in uh, Arkansas in the state park. That Terry, oh, yeah, I can't remember his last okay. name too, but he mentioned it. He mentioned that you know when he he uh, actually came in contact with the uh, female alien um, that came to visit him at the end. He felt like she was draining his energy. So yeah, there's a lot of it in that. It crops yeah, up totally. in the UFO world. And then you got you know people that are into bloodletting and consumptions like strictly for kink, like. I guess you'd call them like sexual vampires. But yeah, that's a good way. To, all that's that a good stuff, way to classify it. Yeah, but all that said, man, there's, it's just, it's probably the richest folklore that we have. Of course, you know, ghosts and spirits, UFOs, but I mean, vampires have been deep in our folklore for a very, very long time, time, and it's not going away. <laughs> and it, it's it's not. So it's just so rich in our folklore in our culture that. Like it makes the, you maybe think, there's something to it, man. It make, maybe makes you there's think there's something, to, something it. to it. And maybe, too, um, with those different categorizations that you made, that's just the same disease, uh, just a different level of affliction. Yeah. You know, it could be that, right? We're always about tying it back into science, and you have that, you know, the whole thing with ticks and fleas and mites and things that feed off of other animals blood there's even birds that feed off of you know they'll peck a hole in a water buffalo and drink their blood there's vampire bats there's all kinds of stuff out there to do it so yeah it's that it's it's possible it can't be it can't be you know completely dismissed great subject i think those those two works for me are probably the best vampire um things that i've seen i don't really I'm not into the whole romanticizing it, the Anne Rice stuff and all that, but if anybody gets a chance to watch Midnight Mass on Netflix, they should definitely do it. Um, it's interesting the way they tie it back into religion. Uh, and then also, if you haven't seen Salem's Lot, if you're a younger listener, um, there was a reboot of the series, but go ahead and go back and watch the original. Um, yeah, you're not looking for a return to Salem slot, even though that's still pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's super hard to find on on DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah. But the original miniseries that aired, or we'll definitely read the book. Yeah, it's but on Shutter yeah, right now. Series. Yeah, it's on Shutter. If anybody wants to use their free trial okay. for Shutter, 
Uh, they can go on there and they can check it out. And it's not the second series. It's the original one. And it's great. It stands up because there, there aren't a lot of special effects in it. So it doesn't, you know, they're, the, the monsters are still pretty cool. Yeah. It, it won't Dude, it's, look it's been, corny. <laughs> yeah. I've just growing up, man, I was so into vampires, like, but not the, I think I was probably more into like the seventies Dracula movies. Right. Then, yeah. you know, like, uh, you know, the one with Tom Cruise, like interview with the vampire or, uh, even the newer Bram Stoker's Dracula with Gary Oldman. Yeah. Like, I watched that one. But, uh, man, I just, all from the sixties up, man, like I loved all those Dracula movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They were great. So even as far as video games, man, there's, I don't know if you played Nintendo when you were a kid, but yeah, I did. man, that whole Castlevania, Castlevania series where you're man. a vampire hunter. Yeah. Dude, that's, I, I played so much Castlevania. I was, I was all about vampires and like, I've never, if, I mean, I feel like just. In the past decade or so, it's gotten so watered down with like you know these Twilight things and yeah. like the sh- shows on the WB. Yeah, I like think everything's everything's romantic and vampires. Are like I missed when vampires were scary, just monsters and right. like cool. Yeah, yeah, I like a monster vampire. I don't want to. I want to see a teenage boy yeah. vampire. The problem with Hollywood and the problem with any that kind of stuff nowadays is they try too hard to appeal to everybody, right? So it's like. They want the entire family above the age of 12 to go to the movie and get something out of it, you know? And so let's write in a romantic storyline. Let's make the vampire really, you know, handsome and a young guy. And it, and it kind of takes away from the core story. There's, you know, that's a whole nother show. (laughs) (laughs) Which actually we're we're getting ready to do. uh, (laughs) That midnight mass was definitely refreshing. I'm, I'm (laughs) huge with like, I hate cruelty to animals in shows and there is in like the second episode. So I completely checked out and didn't watch it because of that. And my buddy was on my ass. He was like, dude, you would love it. And I'm like, Nope, they killed the dog. I'm not. (laughs) And he was like, dude, just watch it. You know? And then finally I got past it. I got him to tell me what, what minute that stopped. And I watched it from there. You know, I was able to cut out that few minutes and I watched it and I just, just fantastic performances. Great storyline. Yeah. There's a lot of places. What's interesting about that storyline too, is there's a lot of places in, um, Chesapeake Bay that are like that. There's probably about three fishing. Yeah. There really are, man. That honestly, that like really, it felt, I've been to places like that. Yep. <laughs> they felt yep. very much like that. Absolutely. Uh, especially all the outer banks all the way up. They felt very familiar. It's a great setting for it's a great setting for a story like that. Yeah. your mind decide to walk with me around the lake tonight around the lake tonight
Yeah. 